Welcome to the Manager Tools Podcast for Monday, March 20th, 2006. Hi, this is Michael Lozen, and welcome to Manager Tools. Today, Mark Horseman and I are going to talk about the effective use of headhunters, or as Mark prefers, being the sensitive man he is, recruiters. Now, if you've been paying attention at all, you figured out that a lot of companies are no longer taking responsibility for your career. Tom Peters talks about it in a brand called You. Now, your career and its transitions are in your hands, and Mark and I believe that you can't call yourself a smart manager if you don't know how to create the right relationship with the recruiters in your industry. And this week and next week's podcast, we'll tell you exactly how to handle it when a recruiter calls you. There's a right way to do this, and over 90% of managers fail at it miserably. It's not hard, and we lay it all out right here. Now, we'll tell you about some basic things you need to know about recruiters, the guidelines for the first call, and the key questions to ask them. As well, we share how to actually address their specific request, and then how to maintain a relationship with them after the call, if you should care to. So, let's get right into it. Several years ago, at uh, when I was in my old uh, my old career, mm-hmm. um, I was remarking to you. Now this is this is quite a long time ago, but I think uh, I had just gotten a call from a headhunter, and I was uh, we were on the phone talking, chatting, and I was expressing my frustration about getting calls from headhunters, and a very interesting conversation ensued, and I learned a lot about headhunters. One. You didn't like them being called headhunters. Yes. <laughs> and, and secondly, that uh, actually these folks had a lot of value to me. Um, so why don't you share that with our listeners here? Yeah. Um, uh, and actually, many of them don't mind the term headhunter. It's gone from being a term of derision to now just one of those nicknames that sort of has stuck. Um, they will call themselves executive recruiters, but uh, they understand why people call them headhunters. Um and because if they do well, they're paid extremely well. Um, they're, they, they laugh all the way to the bank. Um, basically, what's happened is there's, you know, as most people know, if you've read The World is Flat, Mike, there's been a fundamental shift in the workplace in the last 20 or so years. The workforce is becoming much more mobile. And that's not just because individuals, Gen Xers or even younger, um, want to be able to move around and take their skills with them, um, sort of the, the brand called you, um, concept. Um, but it's also because companies stopped doing what they used to do. Um, companies started realizing that there was a talent market, sort of like a free agent market, and um, they stopped managing people's careers aggressively, affirmatively, completely about 20 years ago. Uh, they said it out loud, hey, we're not really managing your career if you're a manager and executive. Um, you know, there are exceptions. GE, Procter & Gamble, who happened to do it extremely well, obviously. Um, but for the vast majority of folks, you're in charge of your own career. And because most managers' career management skills are atrocious, um, and this is particularly so, by the way, Mike, as I'm sure you know, with technical managers, um, uh, because of that, um, there needs to be somebody out there who essentially helps with the transition. If there were not recruiters, um, then the marketplace would invent them or there would just be a lot of very unhappy managers not be able to move from company A to company B. Now, I think part of the reason that, that uh, technical managers are particularly bad at this is because um, they tend to be more task-focused and less people-focused. Not all, but but this is a generalization. Um, 
and and they tend to look down on the networking and relationship building that are required to make yourself aware of new opportunities. They're not, you know, headlines are not going to come out in your industry or local newspaper about all the new opportunities that are available just for you. So somebody's got to tell you about those opportunities. Uh, and, and likely, obviously, that's going to be somebody who's paid to pay attention to openings and opportunities. Um, so, so what ends up happening is most managers are really, really bad at creating and maintaining relationships with executive recruiters. And yet any executive that you talk to in your industry, that is essentially a large corporate industry of some sort, um, will tell you, oh gosh, of course I do. I know three or four. Now, sometimes they met them because they were, they were um, recruited by them when they were good. And so they learned about them in a positive way, but in some cases they use them to fill senior positions. Um, and so there's not a senior executive worth his or her salt who wouldn't say, Oh sure. I know a few and I've got a couple on my speed dial. You never know what might happen. Um, so, um, it, it's not easy or it's not hard to do. Um, but you need to know the steps. You need to know the basics behind how to have a relationship with uh, an executive recruiter. So let's be clear. If you're a manager, you should know one to two executive recruiters. And if you're an executive, you should perhaps know as many as five. You may not have a close relationship with all five, but you should know perhaps as many as five of them. Um, and that goes for virtually everybody listening. Um, recruiters play an important role in corporate life today, much more so than they used to. Um, and uh, it's particularly true in the tech space where it happens to be, where managers happen to be particularly bad at this. Yeah, I've, I've seen this a number of times where people, um, they question why are they, they see these new positions opening and other people getting them and um, they wonder why they're not moving and why they're not having yeah. opportunities others yeah. have. And this is this is part of the reason they haven't uh, gone out and developed these relationships yeah, with Yeah, they, they ask themselves the question, well, how did he find out about that? Well, it's not like he reads the classifieds. You know, if you're making $75,000 a year, the jobs for 100, 125, 150 are not in the classifieds. Um, so there's got to be some other way. It's recruiters, and you need to know how to leverage those relationships. So for for the for the podcast, for these, this is probably going to be a series of podcasts, quite frankly. Let's talk about a number of things. First, we'll start out with how not to do it. We're going to describe a typical situation that most managers can say, yep, that would be me when an executive recruiter calls. Um, then we're going to take a step back and say, okay, let's, let's learn some basics, some things to know about recruiters. Then we'll talk about how to handle that first call, how to do it professionally. Then there are some key questions you need to ask every recruiter when they call. And we'll tell you what those questions are and how to ask them. We'll talk about how to handle the request because recruiters call for a specific thing a specific opening usually. So we'll talk about how to handle that request for information. And then lastly, or last two steps, how to maintain the relationship with the recruiter. And then finally, we want to mention a couple of resources that uh, uh, we feel strongly about. So sort of a, a number of topics to cover about a very basic thing. There's nothing rocket science. It's not hard to understand. It's just you need to know, know how to dot your I's and cross your T's. Good. Okay. So, okay. So what don't we do? Yeah. Well, or, well, well, let me ask a different way. That's what, what did I used to do that I, I no longer do? <laughs> exactly. What don't we do? Well, the answer to that is about nothing because I've, I've heard about everything when I've called people and talked to them. Um, so here's the situation. A recruiter calls 
And the first thing that most managers do is they get irritated because they don't have time right now. I remember you being exactly that way. Like, ah, you know, <laughs> are they just poaching? I, you know, gosh, are they, are they really on my side? Um, they're the people who are taking my good folks, blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, you're probably irritated. You get flattered a little bit that they're calling you. Um, um, but you don't know this person. So again, you're irritated and now is really not the time. But in any event, for whatever reason, you decide you're going to take the call and you're both irritated and flattered. And of course, therefore, if you're irritated, it proves that you're not prepared. The recruiter introduces themselves and you don't know them and you don't really know the firm they work for because you've never studied it and you don't know the difference between firms. It sounds familiar, but probably you're thinking to yourself, almost all of them have names with have company names with people's names in them like half or Christmas or struggles or whatever. And does it really matter? You don't really know. And you're not sure you really care. Um, they probably are going to say that they just have a few questions and they indicate that they got your name from a referral or a reference or a friend. They don't say who you wonder, but you don't ask because you're uncertain of what the relationship should be here. And as it turns out, they're already asking questions anyway, because they've, they're pressed for time as, most independent people tend to be. Um, and they, they, probably they're going to start with what kind of role um, might be next for you um, if they're if they're fishing a little bit. Um, and uh, then you th then you might find yourself on your heels and uh, you know what might you want that role to pay and then how much of an increase is that from what you're making now and suddenly, you find yourself answering these questions not effectively at all, but you're giving a stranger your salary um, and doesn't appear there's anything in this for you. Um, gosh, <laughs> this is not going well. Um, <laughs> th th then they, th then if they want to probe a little bit, they ask you about whether or not your firm uses technology X or the new software Y. You indicate, yeah, we use X, but maybe not so much in your area. And no, we don't use that new software Y, but you know it pretty well from another job. And the recruiter says, hey, great, thanks, appreciate your time. And maybe they don't sound disappointed, but they tell you they'll get back to you, and they don't. And since they talk to the other recruiters at their firm, none of them call you back either. Um, <laughs> well, so now you're frustrated, you're confused. Yeah. You just wasted uh, 30 minutes of your time. Yeah. And, and you can't contact them now, can you? Because you don't know what firm they're with, and you didn't get their name, and you're not sure you have their number either. Oops. Um, yeah, oops. <laughs> um, so look, in an effort to avoid this kind of complete and total meltdown, let's let's learn about how to craft the right kind of relationship with the recruiter. I mean, um, it, 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 they play an important role. Uh, it, again, it's not hard to do right, and we ought to have some simple guidelines. So um, next step, some things we need to know about recruiters. Um this is kind of background, but at some point it's going to be, make a difference in your career, so we want to cover it now. There are two types of recruiting firms, um, and they are retained search firms and contingency search firms. Uh, retained firms are usually hired for senior executive positions, generally speaking. Um, none of these, none of the statements I'm about to make are hard and fast black and white rules. Um, and a retained firm is paid whether they fill the position with a candidate or not. Um, one of the reasons they're paid regardless is, is that the hiring company knows um, that search firms have relationships with other companies, the retained firms, um, and uh, that prohibits them from recruiting away from other firms. If I'm working for Procter & Gamble, 
on a, on a retained search. Uh, I can't at the same time go after, get, get a retained search um, for Lever Brothers, for Unilever. Um, and so paying that fee allows them to be clear about where they want searched and to find out if the firm has restrictions that would keep them from searching there. Um, another reason is that, that usually a retained search is only given to one firm. And so the hiring company has narrowed its options and they want to ensure quality work. Now, a lot of people would say, well, gosh, well, okay, Mike, why don't they make it a commission then? That would then really motivate um, folks. And, and it's because in the retained business, if you do several retained and therefore paid searches without success, you're going to go out of business. And the longer it takes, the less margin you get. So um, it becomes very, very necessary to be paid if you're going to be retained. That's just the way the market is. On the other hand, um, for those less senior executive positions, and probably for our listeners, the vast majority of them are going to come in contact with what's called a contingency firm. And that's, one, that's a firm that they're probably aware of that, that um, does searches for a commission. They're only paid if they place somebody in the role. Um, um, now, I've been saying retained and contingency firms. That's a little bit of a misnomer, Mike, because... Um, it's the searches and not the firms that are technically retained or contingency. We say retained firms or contingency firms only to indicate that most firms do have a specialty in one of the other types. Um, so someone might say to you, we're a retained firm or, again, more likely we're a contingency firm. That just means that that's the type of searches that they do. It's technically not against any rules except in specific search agreements to be a retained firm and to do a contingency search. Um, and there are reasons why both poo-poo the other and so on. No, no, no reason to get into that. Um, so is it important that um, somebody who is uh, using recruiter, one of our listeners, um, understand the, the difference in terms of what the, that firm is currently working under, whether they're working under a retained or a contingency uh, placement? It doesn't really, for the vast majority of searches, except in, in, in some specific retained situations, it doesn't really make any difference. You will find a higher level of service from a retained firm um, simply because they're recruiting, partially because they're recruiting for more senior positions. Um, and contingency firms tend to be a little bit more, um, uh, I don't know quite how to put it. Um, they tend to be a little less focused on service, a little bit more about making the sale. Uh, it's not to say it's bad. Uh, it's just a different approach, and they tend to be a little bit more pressed for time, um, and they tend to be doing a lot more searches. Um, they need to be more efficient yeah, with their exactly. time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and really, it can't be that much different because in both cases, the fee is about 30 to 35% of the starting salary of the position they're recruiting for. So it, it's not as if it's night and day different. Um, hmm. On the other hand, speaking of how the industry works business-wise, economically, in neither case, contingency or search firm, obviously, should you ever, ever, ever be asked to pay anything at any time. It is not done. It is never done, period. If someone asks you to pay a fee, folks, hang up the phone immediately. Um there's only one firm that I'm aware of that has any kind of national pre pre presence, presence um, that does such a thing. The firm's name is Bernard Haldane. They usually just go by Haldane. Um, and please, please just trust our recommendation on this to steer clear of Haldane. 
Every experience I'm aware of with someone using them has turned out poorly. Don't use them at any time in any way. They're going to charge for their services, um, and we cannot recommend them. And if you'll talk to a number of executives in your business, if they've heard of them, they probably have the same recommendation. If they haven't heard of them, they might say, well, sure, try. But as soon as if they found out they charge you for it, they would say, no, that's not the way the situation. That's not the way the industry yeah. works. Well, well, I was just getting ready to send out a note to folks looking for a sponsor of our show. I guess uh, I guess I won't send it to Holiday. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> no, not so much. <laughs> um, now, all that said about recruiters in terms of the broad broad brush, um, recruiters come in all shapes and sizes. Um, you should know, our listeners should know that, that what's important in the recruiting business, Mike, is not the candidate. I'm sorry to tell you all this. There are plenty of qualified people for every job, and any company can go out and find people. It's the company, the hiring company, that will pay that nice fee that is so critical. It's always better to own the company rather than to own the candidate, if you will. Um, so, so from that perspective, um, what's important is, is that for most contingency recruiters, the real determinant for you should be the person with whom you're talking. Your relationship with any recruiting firm and your ability to avail yourself of its resources boils down to that individual recruiter you're talking to. Um, hmm. And that there you go, there you go again with that relationship. I know, thing. I get tired. Now you keep coming back to that. Gosh, if it hadn't proven me right a thousand times, I mean, if I didn't have an overwhelming mountain of evidence, <laughs> I would, I would <laughs> question myself. I'm not that smart. Um, so what that means is, if it boils down to the person, then that means it boils down to the relationship and Here's some suggestions about how to essentially make some good professional relationships with some executive recruiters. So what's going to happen? You're going to get a first call. Okay. So let's agree on some simple guidelines. We've got four of them here um, on how to handle the first call like a professional. The first thing is, and I, I vaguely remember our conversation enough to think that you weren't really certain exactly of what the what recruiters did and so on, um, uh, but but newer managers, at least you knew you were going to be called, Mike. Newer managers um, need to understand that they need rule number one: you must assume you're going to be called. The fact is, if you're good, um, other people know it in most industries, and other good executives, people above you in the in the uh, in your chain of command have mentioned you to their recruiting relationships. And and this is beside the fact, of course, that surprise is never a good technique for starting a relationship anyway. <laughs> so if you assume you're going to be called, you're going to pay attention to these simple guidelines, and you're going to be ready. Um, you know, if, if you're at a mid-level position and you've been there for 15 years and you haven't gotten promoted, maybe you won't get a call. On the other hand, it wouldn't hurt to have a relationship with a recruiter when oops, the market went south, and suddenly you have a pink slip in your hands. Are we going to talk about um, what folks can do to make sure that they are, in fact, one of those people that will get the call? Yeah, there are two parts to that. Obviously, you need to produce good results. Um, I was just reading Peter Drucker this weekend, and there was a part in there about, gee, it really is all about the work and the results. But but there are ways to handle the calls and the relationship in such a manner that's professional that the recruiter will want to call you back. They'll want to have a relationship with you. And even if you're only an above average manager you're not an you know you're not a superstar um if you handle yourself well in terms of relationship you can leverage that into seeking new opportunities when the time is right for you so yes um okay so you assume you're going to be called then 
when you do get the call, rule number two, always accept the call, or if you get a voicemail from one of them, return it that day. Let me just say that again, that day. The fact is, if it's the first call, um, your lack of response, and they're probably on a tight timeline, um, may mean that you're not contacted again. They've got lots of people to contact, and for contingency searches, as we mentioned before, that's more likely for our, for our listeners. They're pressed for time. Heaven forbid, I mentioned this before, heaven forbid, Mike, that you need them six months later when things, when quote, things change, unquote, <laughs> at your company. Um, and, and sadly, I, I know we have um, some, some technology managers listening. The managers who tend to make this mistake, who don't return the call, most likely are technology managers. And I'm talking about, Mike, I would say it's as high as 90% of technology managers do not take or return the call. Wow. I can only imagine what recruiters, I bet you there are some recruiters who, even though they were sad about the tech bubble bursting out in Silicon Valley and quite frankly everywhere, you know, uh, several years ago, there was also part of them that says, well, you know, I bet I'm going to get a lot of calls from people who wouldn't take my calls before. And as long as I can see myself clear, um, the ones who are going to get my call, who are going to get their calls returned to me, um, are going to be the ones that returned my calls to them. Uh, low these many months as I've been trying to help uh, them and other companies. So no matter what, rule number two: always accept the call. Well, that's ama- that's amazing, but it's also encouraging for technology managers like myself, for example. Which is, if I return the call, I'm already in the top ten percent. There you go. It makes it easy. Yeah, and and. Yeah, you're right. I never thought of it that way, but that's the half full part as opposed to the 90% empty part of the of the thinking. Um, now, number three, rule number three is probably the biggest, the most glaring mistake that people make, and that is to remember that this is a phone call, and so it's a two-way street. Yeah, I mean, it's true for all relationships that it would be a two-way street. But for some reason, Mike, managers get these calls and they think there's some sort of rule book or something and they're talking to maybe a little bit of a fast-talking recruiter. Um, no, no, I'm not, I'm not saying that recruiters are salespeople, God, heaven forbid. Um, but No, you never sound salesy. <laughs> but essentially, <laughs> but essentially the, managers sit back on their heels and... Um, just because they're they don't you you don't know why they're calling doesn't mean you should roll over and just answer their questions and, and essentially give up the standard of wait a minute should I be able to, should I answer that question with anybody other than perhaps my spouse? Um, the mindset to have here is that there are two professionals talking about work, and it's only fair that if you're going to answer their questions and remember they did call you with some questions, the recruiter should be willing to answer your questions first. That will, if you say, hey, look, before we get started, let me ask you a few questions. If you handle it well, and that will rely on, in part, on rule number four, guideline number four, if you handle it well, um, they're going to see that you stepping up and being a professional, and it's going to impress them, quite frankly, because the vast majority of people just, again, rock back on their heels and, um, and don't handle it well. They may get the information they need, but they're not impressed by the person they're talking to. Um, and that brings us to guideline number four, which is, Please, whatever you do, use your best communication skills. Nothing wrong with seeing that his voicemail, it's a recruiter, and waiting to call back until the office is clear and you can have an expansive half-hour conversation. Nothing wrong with that at all. Nothing wrong with calling them on the way home from work. Although, if you're like me, you don't want to have important phone calls um, uh, when you're driving around because it affects your driving skills. Um, 
But but I'll tell you one of the first things people do, Mike. I mentioned the managers being back on their heels. Many managers approach the conversation kind of warily. They're kind of nervous and they're not really sure where to go, and, and that comes across as unfriendly. And in some cases, if you're if you're really a task focused person at the end of the day and you're trying to get home, it comes across as rude. Nobody probably thinks of themselves as being rude, but but if you're relatively low key to begin with, and then you're a little bit wary, and you're you're kind of probing around and not really certain of where to go, that can very easily sound rude on the phone. So, our our guidance here is to be upbeat, to be friendly, to be outgoing, and to be warm. If you're gonna talk to somebody, you might as well put a good face on it. You know, well, this this goes back to something you said earlier, which is. Uh, don't forget who the client of the recruiter is. It's not you. It's the firm that's retained their services. And the, the recruiter, therefore, wants to please their client, and they don't want to put people in front of their client that won't represent them well as recruiter. So um, th- to some extent, they're evaluating your ability to um, interview. Oh, wait, you mean the interview's already started? Um yeah, yeah, maybe. Let me just be, I'll be even more bold than that. Mike, when I meet business people, if when I meet, I'm sure I will in the future, when I, as I meet more manager tools, subscribers, and listeners, and registered users, I'll be evaluating every single one of them. I can be warm, I can be gracious, I can be kind. I'll be thrilled to talk to them and find out about their backgrounds and learn more about them and um, stay in touch with them over the years. And I absolutely will be evaluating them. And every executive I know does it the exact same way. And and essentially, if I'm an executive and I'm looking to fill a position and I'm thinking about hiring a recruiter, the recruiter is or are my eyes and ears out in the marketplace and they increase the number of people that I can, quote, come in contact with, unquote. If I work with one recruiter, Joe over here, and Joe brings me five people and they're all kind of quiet and reserved and they're not very sharp, I'm going to stop working with Joe. So I want to work with recruiters who bring me good people. And the only way you can be sure that you're good people to a recruiter is start the first conversation you have with them in an upbeat, professional, outgoing, warm manner. If that's not you on the phone, then you have some work to do. Okay. And it's as simple as expressing some pleasure that they called. Hey, I'm thanks you called. I'm glad you called. Um, you're probably, Mike, I'd say 80% of the impression you leave with a recruiter is based on your communication skills. Any particular one answer to a question is not going to kill you. It's the overall impression they get of, again, how energetic, how enthusiastic, how sharp, how crisp you are. That's what's going to make the difference. Someone who smiles on the phone, who answers in complete sentences. God, I can't tell you the number of technology managers who say, yeah, uh-huh, nope, 45, nope, maybe, yeah, okay, well, whatever. Um, you know. So are you telling me that my future career is not governed largely by my uh, going to an advanced C++ course or something like that? Uh, <laughs> that might be communication skills. I would hope as my business partner, <laughs> it's not. But, but your point is well taken, and the answer is yes, I am telling you that. You're, the rest of your career as a manager, as a director, as an executive, as a senior executive, as a CEO, whatever – is going to be based on your people skills. Look, the further you get away from the actual work, if you're managing people who are writing code, even if you're a, quote, working manager, which I find just an irritating phrase, and I know I probably upset some people by saying that, um, 
guess what? All managers are working managers. But but the you know the more time you spend in a management capacity, there's nothing wrong with it because if if you want to grow your skills, if you want to have a bigger impact on the organization and your industry, you're gonna to have to become a manager. Um, you're going to get further away from the work, and it's gonna be more about influencing others. So yes, I I oh. am telling you that. Sorry, yes, there there is a Santa Claus. <laughs> Um, Well, now, what if they ask you, you know, getting back to the the communications here, what what happens if they ask you questions that you kind of don't, you don't think are appropriate? um, Well, I I will tell you that there's a, um, uh, there's a, a real danger for many people in that they're a little bit wary, perhaps, and then they get asked a question that may be too personal or whatever. And, and the response of, well, why do you need to know that in sort of a flat tone? Um, that's a sign of a closed communicator. There's nothing wrong with them asking a question that, um, you know, it's okay for a recruiter to ask some questions that they ought not to. I mean, really, there's almost nothing that, I suppose there are some personal questions that are off limits, but, but there are some questions that are probably inappropriate in a first conversation. And when you do, when you hear those questions, um, here, here's some ways to handle that. Um, my favorite one is, hey, maybe that's a question we could save for a later conversation. Um, you're essentially saying, I really don't want to answer that right now without saying, I don't want to answer that right now. Another way you could do it is to say, can you help me understand why that's relevant right now? And I think it's important that you include the right now or now in it um, because it sends a message that I might be willing to answer that in the future, but I don't hardly know you why you ask me that right at the moment. Uh, a particularly good example of this, Mike, you bring up a good point, is the one about salary. Um, unless a recruiter can personally confirm that you are being considered for a specific position, um, and, and quite frankly, that is, in other words, your name's already in the mix, and that is highly unlikely on a first call they're making to you, it is absolutely not required, you're not obligated it won't ruin your relationship with them if you don't share your compensation with them yeah you could you could essentially use the same tactic i just mentioned you could say why don't we leave that until there's a position on the table and i'm actually in the mix and and for now let's just assume that i'm paid commensurate with my role here at xyz corporation quite frankly if they're a good recruiter they know rough ranges of positions and they've talked to the people at your company before so they ought to know what you're paid anyway um yeah if they come back right away with, well, actually, you are being considered, you should respond with, um, okay, let me get a few notes down. What company is it with? What's the role? And what's the salary? And so on. I, I wouldn't give them my salary information without knowing those things uh, in a little bit more detail. If somebody says, hey, I've got this vague opportunity, I need to know what your salary is, you can say, well, I'm not comfortable sharing that with you until I know more about the opportunity. There's nothing wrong with that. That's absolutely reasonable. This is a give and take. It's a relationship. Remember, rule number three, it's a two-way street. Um, uh, okay, something else, though. You, uh, you, you mentioned about a question that may be that not to be asking. Um, th- there's another rule for, for managers, which is um, any professional, positive um, communicator will never, ever, ever say anything derogatory about anyone or any organization to include, of course, the one you're with or one that you've ever been with before. If a recruiter attempts to encourage you in that way by saying something like, well, things are tough there right now, I know. I know you guys have been having some tough times and you feel like they're fishing and you think it would be smart to share more information. You're absolutely wrong. The right response is something along the lines of, 
hey, you know, there have been some difficulties here, but I'm growing my skills from the future, and I know we're going to make it through. Part of the reason you can say, I know we're going to make it through, is if you know you're not going to make it through, or if you want to say, I think we're going to make it through, if you know you're not going to make it through, you ought not to be sticking around anyway. Um, Or you could also say, hey, some people do say that. Um, I'm delivering good work. I'm relying on others to do their best, too. I believe we're going to make it. Wow, sounds again like you might be in an interview and yeah. answering like you might in an interview. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and uh, I refuse to be negative in an interview. I, m- maybe I'm gonna uh, they're gonna ding me minus five for being a Pollyanna a little bit, but at least I'll be talking about positives, and I won't feel a little bit dirty and a little bit guilty when I get off the phone that I dissed my company or my boss or my previous boss. And you never know where recruiters have been and who they've worked for and so on. Well, we'll stop it right there. That's just about the halfway point, and we'll pick it up again next week. In the meantime, if you have any specific questions around this subject or just about any other management topic, be sure to stop by the discussion forums at manager-tools.com forums. We'd love to have you visit and participate. That's it for this week. We'll finish up on this topic on next week's show. Until then, have a great week. So long.